Mike made an observation during his interview which I also noted, and I've also been baffled by. So many of the students in the fine furniture program are amazingly talented, not just at working with their hands, but at creating works of art. Yet so many of them are also insecure about their talents and worry about their abilities and their futures as makers and artists. Mike is undoubtedly right when he says this self-criticism and self-doubt is essential to the artistic process. It propels creators forward, and the compulsion to do better and make ever more beautiful pieces is what hones raw talent into genius. Mike also put his finger on what I think makes the Camosun program so unique. It gives students the space and confidence to realize they are far more talented and have far more potential than they think. Like Sandra and Beth, Mike is a teacher who gently yet firmly pushes his students forward. The fact he so clearly believes in all of us and thinks we can all excel in this craft he so passionately loves is a critically important part of ensuring our success. I am sure there are tyrannical gymnastics coaches who produce Olympians through criticism and intimidation. But as William Morris would say, the art of education lies in the teacher's pleasure at being a great teacher. The world needs more of that. Here's my interview with Mike Randall. All right, Mike Randall, how you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. So Mike, you are unique in that you both took this class and now you help teach this class, right? Yes. So tell me about when you taught, when you took this class. Um, I did it in the 2010-2011 year uh, under Ken and Cam. And what did you do before you took final? Um, I ran boats for a long time. My original background in the UK was forestry. Um, and I came to Canada in 1999. And I started running my own sailboat uh, for charter business. And then I worked whale watching for a good few years, running some big boats. And then I went and worked on C-SPAN tugs. For a year before the recession hit in 2008, I got laid off in 2009. Um, and then it took me a year or two sort of just figuring out what we were doing. Um, my son was very young and needed quite a bit of hands-on. And then um, in 20, 2009, I, start, I was told a buddy of mine sort of said, you should do the uh, um, weekend warriors like sort of furniture program. The first woodworking one was Russ Brampton, I think his last name, but Russ. And then Sandra did three, two, three, and four. And so I did those courses, um, like two days a week. Um, and then towards the end, Sandra was like, have you signed up to the fine furniture program? You do know about it. I was like, well, I don't know anything about it. I mean, other than being in here. Um, and she's like, yeah, you probably should do that. So I did it. Had you any woodworking experience before those weekend warrior um, programs? A little. I was uh, when I first was whale watching. A buddy of mine and I ran a little fencing business, um, but I was really amateur at that stage. Yeah, um, yeah. embarrassingly what, so. <laughs> what was your experience as a student in the class like? And then I'm going to ask you what your experience as an instructor has been. Uh, my experience as a student, I mean, apart from the sort of like hindsight, it was freaking awesome like honestly 
I grew. So my background, I'm dyslexic, potentially ADHD. School was an incredible challenge for me. I'd basically never, I completed high school, but just by the skin of my teeth. It was um, in Europe, so we were using the English system. Um, and I had very little confidence in my own ability to do anything really. Um, like when I did my navigation stuff, I did really well, but I'd done that all my life. So, um, and this was the first thing I ever did where I really came in pretty green. Um, I'd had Sandra's training obviously beforehand, which was really good, but it was being able to confront it by an enormous amount of homework. A lot in those days, it was all written. Um, and just time pressures and things. I really scared me. And I mean, literally, I, would, I used to feel sick every time homework was set. And then I realized, you know, I was getting good grades and I was actually, you know, coming out with almost 100% on my assignments and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, this is really cool. Um, you know, and it was just an enormous um, boost to my confidence, really. What was your best experience in the class? And by experience, I mean a homework assignment, a project, a new relationship, a great day. I think my best experience was um, discovering the sort of mid-century modernists and wood bending and um, just the minimalist design. Um, my background was antiques because my father used to be an antique dealer. And I was surrounded by antiques, mostly Cotswold Arts and Crafts, which is why I sort of loved. And I'd sort of discovered the Shakers a bit. And then when Ken was doing his, art, his furniture history classes, um, I found a lot of it really dry and dull. And then we came across the, you know, he got to the sort of 1950s and my brain just went, oh yeah, that's where it's at. And so I sort of, that was the light bulb moment really for me in terms of like just yeah this is cool when did you decide to make this a career was it before was, you finished the program or after? oh yeah no, no no it was this was i started this out with the intention of working um i think my biggest mistake was to not go into uh working for another company um at the time i was sort of like just want to work for myself i've got my son to look after i got like you know work from home just I was done with working for other people and I was sort of, but I think that in hindsight, I would have learned an awful lot in the first few years, even if I'd just done a few. Um, and it would have yeah, given me skill sets that took me years to learn. What, when you were a student, was your most challenging experience? And again, experience can be however you define it. Oh, I think some of the, some of the assignments, um, some of things that take time and patience i'm not i'm very patient with people but i'm not very patient with myself and cutting dovetails for instance fitting dovetails um yeah some of the fine joinery um the introduction of each individual project used to make me feel sick mm. and then once you get into it you realize oh, you know what you just work through the time you know the, the workflow sick how nervous yes insecure nervous like what were you nervous that, about just the work the time that was my go-to having spent most of my school time being you know always struggling and being stressed so yeah how were you able to work through the class given your learning disabilities um 
well, I mean, everyone is really understanding. And I, I at home, um, my wife realized that I needed to get this done and was very supportive. And so, you know, in terms of looking after the kids and stuff, it was, I got, I spent a lot of time doing homework at night and I tried in the past, I would, as a, growing up i'd always procrastinate leave everything to the last minute and this time i really forced myself to just get everything done the day of the site like it was set um or start working on it at least and um my wife's a very academic driven person so that was easy <laughs> um yeah yes you got to get the work done okay so you know that from that perspective i just learned to get it done and think. what kind of business have you built since you graduated from fine furniture? Um, I have a, it's a growing business. Um, it's difficult. This is a hard industry to be in. Um, I've grown my network. I've grown my sales. What do you make for I make lighting. Um, I'm a light designer. Essentially, I bend wood. I design curved things or uh products that have curves so i do dining tables i do a little bit of seating um a lot of lighting and i'm starting into sort of sculpture i do bent lamination large scale bent lamination sort of up to sort of 14 feet and i'm sort of starting to play with steam bending uh, a bit more i've had a couple of really big steam bending projects um and again it's just learning on the fly um yeah, so that's kind of the direction I go in. I do a lot of work with interior designers. I have production pieces, which I can have manufactured or make myself. And I do a lot of custom work too. Is this your first year teaching? Yeah, I started in December. How, January. What is the difference? I mean, I would imagine there's so many, but what are some of the most substantial differences between being a student in this program and teaching this program? Um, and, and I mean, I know what the day to day differences yeah. are, but I mean more like psychological and emotional for you. Well, I mean, I absolutely adore teaching. Um, I've always liked talking, as people who know me will laugh. Um, but teaching's really a shown reminding me just how much I do know. And I've, for over the years, I've always ended up sort of designing for what I figured my skill set was, but my skill set's really way, way, way bigger than that. And so teaching has really helped me gain confidence in myself. Um, and yeah, it just really pushes me. It's pushed me to look back on the, the course content that I learned and never really used over the years and revisit it and go and with a completely different eye you know 13 years experience which has been fascinating for me absolutely fascinating so i teach as well and the relationships that i have with my fellow students as a student yeah are radically different from the relationships i have with my students when i'm teaching right could you talk a little bit about that and how you've dealt with that transition and what sort of what are the main differences like i said more emotionally yeah that you've encountered um it's hard to you're say a really now, i'm a teacher it. now so you have to be there is that sort of um teacher student barrier not barrier is the wrong word for it because it's you know it's not but it is just sort of um especially on courses where there's lots of you know 
students who are older and sort of closer to my age. Um, I s get along really well with this group. Um, I got along really well with my class before, but my life was so chaotic and hectic that I never really socialized with them and didn't. Um, they've got a couple I've hung out with, but now like, I just feel this year in particular that there's a really great connection. Um, and it's just really nice. It's really makes me feel good at the end of the day. Um, and seeing, watching the students learn and grow and grow in their confidence is the biggest one for me. The first night you came home after teaching your first class in January and yeah. your wife said, Mike, how was your day? What was your answer? Um, well, I did some shadowing to start with. And my answer at the time was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I was really, I mean, I've always been in total awe of Sandra's teaching ever since I started being taught by her, and she's phenomenal. And I was really nervous about trying to sort of live up to that and fill those shoes. But the first day, I think I was like, this is going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay. And then I, you know, I've gradually got more and more comfortable. Um, and it's just, yeah, I come back at the end of the day being tired and really fulfilled. What have your biggest successes been in the last five months as a new teacher? Um, probably demoing the wall cow, <laughs> doing, um, the, making the doors It's definitely something that I don't do. And it went really, really well. And I'll probably never, <laughs> I'll have to teach it next year, but if, if I, if that's an option, but yeah. <laughs> what have been the areas in the last five months that you look back and think, boy, I need to improve that aspect of my teaching? Um, aspect of teaching, I think that's a tough one. Probably the finishing. Yeah. I don't, my specific, I use very specific finishes um, in my work. Um, and I think things I, I don't, haven't had to teach the spraying but those the spraying and understanding the complexities of industrial finishes um sprayed industrial finishes i think that's going to be the hardest and staining and, and sort of trying to detach my um personal taste out of the take it out of the equation i have very strong beliefs in off-gassing and you know environment and all the rest of it and a very specific style of finish and look trying to teach something that i personally can't bear i think is something that i will have to adapt to and get used to um and it's such a subjective um subject that it, yeah has there been a moment in the last five months where through teaching you've learned something about yourself that you didn't know or you had to examine an aspect of your personality that maybe has previously gone less um, examined before you became a teacher. I think, well, two things. One thing I always thought, I always thought I would, I don't know if I'm a good teacher, that's, that's other people to say, but I've always thought I would be comfortable teaching. But I think this really affirms that I am very comfortable in this environment, um, certainly somewhere because I have done this for so long. Um, but uh, in terms of it's helped me with my patience. I mean, my patience is pretty good because of my son, but I and being a father. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of 
learning to connect with people, learning to remember people's names. That's my terrible one. I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's sort of... I make my students wear, uh, put name tags on their desk. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that they are here, I yeah. always had to go and look at people's desks before I went to talk to them, you know. So it is that sort of side of things. Um, I came into an established class, so I'll be interested to know how different it is making or working through those relationships from the new and nobody knows anybody. So well, that'll be an interesting thing. And also we've got a particularly good year this year. What makes this year a particularly good year? The energy, the vibe, there are no major personality clashes. Um, I mean, even if there's general data nay niggles, that's life. It's in the workshop. That's the way it is. Um, in past years gone by there, you know, there's always been like some interesting dynamics. So I think, um, and that's also life that's going to happen. You're throwing 17, 18 people in a high pressure area. Um, but this year, everyone, from what I gather, seem to feel they are willing and happy to work alongside, share things. There's little tiny frustrations, but whatever, those are normal. When you were a student in this program, did you feel insecure about your abilities? Like no matter what you produced, it wasn't good enough? Um, I think my uh, expectations were so low. I think what I produced <laughs> was like, yes! <laughs> you know, I've, I've always, and I still struggle with insecurities. I'm an artist. I mean, you know, every artist I know has these enormous emotional swings. So, um, which, so that sort of sets the stage for my question. I have, I've done, I don't know, a couple of interviews so far. One thing that has struck me really deeply is how how my fellow students and friends who I look at with such reverence, because I have no skill, and I look at them and I think, my God, they are such amazing artists and makers. And then I talk to them <laughs> and they are so hard on themselves. And I, I, I struggle to understand why that is. Because we all have that. It doesn't matter what level you are. As a creator, you are um, relying on your skill sets. And, and sort of this, there's always going to be the self-doubt. If you meet a maker and a creator who's 100% confident in what they do, that's just not... I don't even know if they exist. Probably Doesn't, not a very good creator. They're probably not. Yeah, they're probably just planting a piece of wood. You know, I really, creators push their limits. It doesn't matter if your limit is cutting a straight line or doing hand-cut dovetails of, you know, unequal spacing and, like, that's still pushing your limit. So if your expectations for your abilities do not match your results or even if, you know you're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel like you haven't succeeded. I very rarely feel like I haven't succeeded at the end, but the emotional roller coaster I go through to get there is enormous. So then why wake up the next day and decide to get on that roller coaster? Do it again? Because it's the, it's the beginning and the end. Because <laughs> you come out of it with a buzz. And sometimes I, I've had designs that I've worked my you know, hiney off trying to come up with and spend an enormous amount of time. And it's like, mm, yeah, it didn't really look quite as good as I thought. And it's nothing to do with my skill set or anything. It's just, it didn't 
quite turn out that way. And I've had designs that were complete flukes. I have one lighting product, which I made up just to demonstrate a, an LED type at interior design show last year. Never meant to be. It's my biggest selling product of the year. It's to, like, it was just turn head. Everybody went to it. I was like, um, that's just a demo strip. What makes it so popular? Because it's different. How is it different? It's this particular one lights the wall. It's a pendant that hangs and just lights the wall. So it doesn't, it, you know, but for the interior designers, they're like, oh, that's cool. Because there aren't any out, you know. So now it's they turned it into a floor lamp, ceiling hung pendant, and then it's led to a new up and down linear pendant. And it, it's, so that whole thing has led to a whole line of products that have been really well received. So the mistake or the accidental is incredible. So a simple question. Yeah. How do you define art? You said that's a simple question. <laughs> that is not a simple question. Um, how you do saw the I, mischievous yeah, of course I eye. know you. Um, how do you define, how do I define art? Um, I think art is the visual or music, I guess, music and, um, creativity from a human. So whether it's somebody writing a song, whether it's somebody writing a painting, I mean, to be honest, if someone sticks a banana on the wall, if they've had a creative process to get to that point, it's art. Other people might not notice it, and some people come along and eat the banana. Um, but the fact that the, someone's brain had to come up with a concept and a theory and an execution, whether it's visual, music, um, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's art. William Morris defined art as the pleasure that workers take in their labor. Um, I potentially in an ideal world, but there's an awful lot of artists who don't take, oh, there's enough artists out there who maybe have it a slightly overdramatic, but, um, you wouldn't say they take pleasure in there. I'm thinking of some of the writers and CEOs, you know, um, they've, they have other issues that maybe lead to this. So I think necessary, I think the, the pleasure aspect, um, is a tricky one to associate with. I think it's the creative process um, and the fact that so it came from someone's brain and it's not copied, it's not, you know, it, it, it's somebody processed this and thought it through and executed it. A couple more easy questions. How is art affected by politics and economics? Oh. So you sit down at uh, your shop at eight o'clock on a Monday and you're going to create a piece of art, but you live yeah. in a world that has political and economic guide rails. I think that depends on what you take as your influence. Um, I, the economic guide rails, I mean, I have to create for my target audience, which is what definitely the upper economic bracket. Um, it's, you need to know your clients. You need to understand your clients. I think the politics behind it, I think if you are a musician or a singer-songwriter, like singer-songwriter or a writer, or maybe even a visual artist, like painter, then you might start being more influenced in the sort of political side of life to sell your work. If you're doing spec pieces, there's, there are furniture makers out there who make political statements, or at least societal statements, maybe not direct politics, but um, 
I'm creating personally, I create more for my clients. I create uh, more visually from nature. Um, I think environmental news constraints, they, they focus me in the direction I go in terms of material use, um, finish use. That's the, you know, how I try and run my business. I try and be more community minded. I try and be, um, supportive of other people in the industry. Um, I don't want to be an isolationist. I keep politics, as I said in the class this morning, I keep politics well outside my, out of my business. Can you be a fully realized artist? Can you make art for art's sake in 21st century Canada, capitalism, representative democracy, climate, existential climate crisis, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I don't know. I think any artist, there, there are artists out there who just create for the sake of creating. Um, maybe they're getting a message across. Maybe they um, create art. So if you think about, say, graffiti artists or urban artists, they're not getting money. They're not. There's no financial gain, so that gets rid of the economic side. Um, a lot of it's political statements. A lot of it's about confronting society and, and and challenging the leadership to you know how do we get to a better place. So I think on that front, for me, it is very much. It currently is very much about the economics. It's a business. I'm trying to run a business. I think if I as I move more into sculptural pieces. Um, that might change, but at the end of the day, I still, you know, there are f a few makers out there who are big enough and bring in enough income and the financial side is okay that they can afford to just make for making sake and donate. Um, but anyone who gets money for their work, um, you're always tied to the economy, in which case it's, you have to, yeah, it's difficult. What would you make for the sake of making? Let's say you money was not a concern, family time was not a concern, environmental impact was not a concern. If you wanted to yeah. make a twenty foot statue out of lithium, you could. Yeah, no, I would. I, <laughs> I don't think the environment will ever be not a concern. Um, <laughs> but let's say it what wasn't. I, what I I would. Um, I'm currently very um, influenced by a maker called Joseph Walsh. He's based in Ireland, and he's a sculptor. He's a phenomenal furniture maker. His furniture designs are not necessarily my taste personally, but his skill set's incredible. But his sculptural stuff is, A, because it's massive, and it's all bent wood, and that's what I would do. I would just get, find the biggest pieces of wood and the biggest team to help me, and we would create enormous bent wood art just because I know that I can do it, but I have so many constraints with financial space, family, all the rest of it. I know I have the skill set to do it, but I, everything else, that, that if I could get rid of all those other parameters, that's what I would do for sure. If I asked you to make something sacred to you, yeah. you can define sacred however you want. Some people it's theistic, some yeah. people it's the relationship with their family, yeah. a mug, whatever. Yeah. What would you make? Boat. Why a boat? Because I've grown up on the water. The water is my happy place. What does your sacred boat look like? Hmm. Probably based off a West Coast fishing boat. But that would be that again. That 
depend. There's a lot of there'll be a lot of variables on that. I've sailed all my life, um, but the practicalities of sailboats in these waters are. I don't know. There's, there's, there's more getting into the boating, but it would definitely be like a really, really, really beautiful boat and big. If you only had three woodworking tools that you could use for the rest of your career, what would those be? <laughs> um, hmm. God damn it. That's a difficult one. Huh? We'd have to have some sort of cutting tool. Um, some measuring tool. God damn it. I'd be interested to know what other people thought of this. Um, what else would it be? Just trying to think of what I could get away with. Yeah, cutting, carving tool, cutting tool, something like that. Yeah, and a measuring tool. Yeah, I think those are the two key ones. Yeah, you can always use found items to draw lines, to make marks, to weigh things down, to bend things, rocks and what have you. But in terms of tools, like the accuracy of the measuring and cutting, what sensual memory of the shop stays with you the longest? Sight, a sound, a smell. Um. For me, it's probably the smell, but I would not, um, I couldn't put a finger at specifics on it. It's the vibe, it's the feel. It's the feeling of walking in and just feeling comfortable. Um, what about the shop makes you comfortable? It's well laid out, there's lots of room. Um, it's just a friendly place. Um, for this specific shop, just the environment for learning. Um, I mean, there's lots of tweaks. I'd, there's lots of tweaks I'd do, but that's whatever. That's personal preference for everybody. But it's like, um, it's just, it's an, a great space to be in. My personal shop, I've spent years honing it down um, and designing it. Um, and it is my happy place. It's like a re relaxing place to me, except the occasions when things aren't going quite right. Um, but it's got tons of light. It's got tons of like air. It opens right up in the summer. Um, it's a comfortable space to be in. Do you think the fine furniture program is unique? I would never say it's unique on a national scale. It's very much unique to the island. It's unique. To, it's not unique to BC, but I don't know enough about the other options i mean i guess i mean more the experience the experience, experience is always going to be unique because it's based on the school i think Camosun does a um fantastic job of not just this program but all its like um programs and how it works with the community and how it has helped people grow and an awful lot of people who really don't think they have room to grow or have not have room to grow have the ability to grow um, I think a lot of universities take the creme de la creme and so people go in there thinking they're, they're strong and good and really whatever, and they come out with the same feeling. I think there's an awful lot of students that come out of Camosun that came into it 
with very little self-confidence and an awful lot of doubt for their future. And Camosun really works hard at creating or giving them that self-confidence and showing the direction that they can move in. Can you think about a particular student that you've seen go through that transition over the last six months? <laughs> yes. Can you, without no. mentioning names, can you <laughs> tell me about that? Um, it's people who, the students who had, don't have confidence in their ability, but actually can turn out really, really good work. Um, whether or not they, the concept of the fine furniture program where it's like absolute precision and it's all the rest of it um, is important, but I think on a personal growth level, um, showing people that, proving to people that they can do things and they are artistically creative and sometimes artistically brilliant um, and they are learning a skill and this is just the first stepping stone in what will hopefully be a long history. This is not you're not going to reach perfection in this year. Like even though you got students coming into the program who had lots of skills, students who have grown a lot, but they always have this sort of knowledge that they would grow. The ones I focus on are the ones who don't believe in their skill set, but have really, really shown time and again that they are perfectly capable of doing it and they can just take it and run with it from here on in. Last question is not really a question, but it's more of just a, an opportunity. Yeah. What do you want people to know about this program, about your experience as a student, as a teacher that we haven't talked about? Maybe there's something you've been thinking about and I haven't asked the right question to get that of you. I don't know. I think the fact that it's here, the fact that this industry needs to change um, in the way that people, uh, the greater world respect it. Um, I look at other trades and I see the wages, I see the awards, I see the money, the thing, and the cabinet furniture making industry is still treated as a hobby industry. And it's treated as an industry that's by people who have got money, they just do this for fun. Um, they all that you know, young. They, the the starting wage for a cabinet maker compared to a starting wage for you know a, a carpenter or like a job site carpenter is so dramatically different, and that needs to change. And this, um, yeah, it's got to come from the ground up, and trade the industry needs to start f financing this. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. <laughs>